Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I would like to have you give me 90 minutes, if you will. If you can set aside that 90 minutes, the next 90 minutes, I will give you my broadcast partners from around the world. They have details and information on headlines that you may have read or heard on radio or television reports. And by doing that, they help us to understand how the prophetic scenario found in God's Word is coming better into focus on a daily basis. We're going to do that with six of my broadcast partners. So if you can stay around for 90 minutes, we would love to have you do exactly that. We're going to go to Ken Timmerman. And Ken, let me just talk to you about, well, something that President Trump has been discussing. He's concerned about the mail-in ballots in the next election coming up, his election, his re-election to become president, if that should take place. But at the same time, my good friend and a great author, Ken Timmerman, <laughs> he, he has written a book entitled The Election Heist. I mean, were, were you on the same wavelength with the president when you started writing this, maybe a couple of months or a year or so ago? I, I guess I must have been, Jimmy, but, uh, you know, a lot of us who look at election integrity and the security of our election systems have been worried for quite some time. Uh, Mail-in ballots are one thing that's very, very dangerous and very easy to manipulate, but uh, in my new book, The Election Heist, I look at other ways that a nefarious party could steal the election through electronic means, in particular, through hacking. These are scenarios that I've actually run through with uh, a number of experts, people who look at these systems professionally, even people in the U.S. government. But, uh, you know, I've made this into a fiction. It's a novel, so you've got a great plot line uh, with two candidates opposing each other, Republican and Democrat, and, um, you know, one of them realizes he's going to lose the election, and so he throws in with a hacker group that will steal it instead. Uh, so it's a political thriller, if you wish. It comes right down right down to the line, and, and I can guarantee you the end is something that you won't suspect as you get into the book at the beginning. <laughs> can I understand that it's not going to be in the bookstores until August, but people can pre-order at this time, can they not? How could they do that? Pre-ordering is really important because it helps places like Amazon to stock up on the books so they don't run out. Otherwise, they run out after uh, you know the day after the book's on sale, and it's a disaster. So go to my website, KenTimmerman.com, and you'll see right up there the cover of the book, The Election Heist. And that'll you can just click on that, and it'll take you directly to Amazon where you can pre-order the book. And it really is a huge help to me and to the publisher so they know how many books to print and can get them to Amazon and other online and sales places and, and into bookstores. And by the way, I forgot to tell you, dear friends, that Kim is located still in southern France, not able to come back home, but I will keep you posted on that situation as well. Kim, talk to me about Jordan, the country of Jordan, King Abdullah, calling for the world to unite against Israel. And I do believe it's in connection with annexation of the Judea and Samaria area. 
Well, that's right. And you and I uh, were talking about this last week with uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, who made the surprise visit to Israel. And, and I put out my opinion. I said it wasn't a fact. It wasn't proven. But to me, it seemed that uh, Pompeo was going there to ask Bibi Netanyahu to annex parts of Judea and Samaria uh, this summer because it would mobilize evangelical voters in the United States. And lo and behold, that seems to be taking place this week. The Jordanians have picked up on it. Other Arab countries have picked up on it. And the Jordanian foreign minister is calling on all of the Arab nations to oppose Israel if they seek to annex parts of the historical land of Israel in Judea and Samaria. But interestingly, the Saudis and other what we're now calling moderate Arab countries, we didn't call them that four or five years ago, but we're calling them moderate Arab countries because they're working with Israel on many security and even economic issues. The Saudis are saying, you know, sure, we like the Palestinians. Yeah, we don't really want Israel to annex those areas, but our relationship with the United States is far more important than Israel annexing some land in Judea and Samaria. Very, very interesting development. Yes, it certainly is, and we're going to truly stay on top of that. It's key to the security for the state of Israel. Jordan at the eastern border of the state, but at the northern border there in southern Lebanon, Hezbollah's Nisrallah, who is their commander, warns of a great war on all fronts with Israel. It sounds like they are ready to go to war now. Well, they are militarily. They have uh, a great deal more weaponry than they've had in the past. Uh, the last war, remember, was 2006. I was there on the ground, and, and Hezbollah fired over 4,000 missiles into Israel, did a great deal of damage, shut down the entire uh, northern third of the country from Haifa and north. But I see um, Nasrallah's statements and his threats to Israel today as kind of the, he's like a wounded dog. Uh, he's saying, you know, please don't hit me again because then I'll have to bite you. Hezbollah has taken uh, great damage to its fighters and to its resources from Israeli airstrikes in Lebanon over the past couple of months. And they've lost many people on the ground. Uh, the, the body bags are coming back to Lebanon. The arms shipments from Iran are being disrupted by uh, Israeli Defense Force aircraft uh, that are bombing them. So I think what he's saying to Israel is basically, look, let's move towards a truce here. <laughs> Please stop attacking us because otherwise we might have to bite you. Yeah, I loved your illustration about the dog that is being bitten and says, hey, please don't do any more, I'll bite you. That's a great illustration. Well, our old buddy Taya Erdogan, there the leader of Turkey, is making conversation about what's going on as it relates to the Israelis and the Palestinians. He made this very distinct statement this week. The Temple Mount is a red line, not only for Turkey, but for all Muslims in the entire world. Talk to me about Mr. Erdogan. Well, uh, Erdogan is again doing what the Jordanian foreign minister was doing. He's commenting on this now pretty extensive rumor that Israel is going to start annexing areas in Judea and Samaria. And Erdogan is simply saying, don't annex the Temple Mountain, the Temple Mount, because it's uh, sacred to uh, all Muslims as well as to Christians and Jews. And, you know, I don't expect that, the, that Israel will annex the Temple Mount at this point. 
Uh, I can see them annexing other territory along the Jordanian border to set up a buffer between Israel and any Palestinian entity and, and to prevent it from having a contiguous access to other Arab states. So I think this is just a kind of pro forma statement from Erdogan. I think far more important, and I know we're going to get to that in a second, is what Erdogan is doing in Libya. And that's much more aggressive, much more strategic, if you wish, and actually threatens to uh, alter the balance of power in the Mediterranean. Well, indeed, that's what is exactly I was going to ask. Idlib to Tripoli is the title of the story that I was reading, Turkey's Moves to Dominate, exactly what you said, the Eastern Mediterranean. It's a part of his plan to be the pan-Islamic leader of the world, is it not? Right, and we've been looking at this for quite some time, but it's been developing in in fits and starts, and then all of a sudden it goes, blazes forward 100 miles an hour, and that's what happened has happened over the past week. Turkey has moved something like 10,000 fighters from Syria. Uh, these are mercenary fighters that the Turks are paying. They've flown them into Libya to fight against General Haftar. General Haftar, remember, is supported by Russia, by a number of other uh, states. He is considered to be an anti-Islamist, holding the line against the Islamist government in Tripoli, and that's the government, that Islamist government that Turkey is backing. So Turkey is now, uh, 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 he, he's flown in ten, you know, close to 10,000 fighters from Syria, and this past Sunday uh, won a huge battlefield victory, forcing Haftar to abandon this air base called Al-Watiya Air Base just outside of Tripoli that he was using to stage attacks against the government, the Islamist government in Tripoli. So uh, Erdogan succeeded with that attack. Uh, Haftar, General Haftar, has withdrawn from that air base uh, and now is, is basically moving back towards his home uh, base in Benghazi. Um, at the same time, and this is where things get really interesting, uh, remember uh, I said that Haftar is being supported by Russia. Well, the Russians have now flown in just, just this past week a number of fighter aircraft um, through Syria to another air base in central Libya, with, which they are going to use as a substitute for what Haftar is doing. So this is really heating up. Uh, the war in Libya, it is another proxy war like we have uh, in Yemen um, and in Syria. And now you've got the Russians confronting the Turks once again, uh, and uh, this time apparently with uh, major weapon systems. Uh, the Turks took out an uh, air defense battery that the Russians had provided to Haftar, and so now the Russians are bringing in their frontline fighter jets to threaten the Turks. Can we have just about 20 seconds? Talk to me quickly about China devouring Hong Kong. Is that a major play? It, it is, and, and China has never liked the idea that Hong Kong has a separate system. They don't like this idea of one country, two systems that uh, uh, they agreed to with Britain in 1997 when the Brits turned Hong Kong over to China. And so they're trying to extinguish the freedoms of Hong Kong. They have a new set of laws, security laws, that they passed in China this week, and they're hoping to impose them on Hong Kong shortly. Ken Timmerman is the man that we bring to this broadcast table so he can give us 
information, key information, details behind headlines in the geopolitical activities of this world. And as you see, he always knocks the ball out of the park. Ken, thank you so very much. I appreciate it. It's key to have your report. And we always like to start off our entire program each week with you, even if you're there in southern France. That's a key location in Europe to be able to tell us what's happening. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much to you, Jimmy. God bless and be well. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. With our broadcast partners spread out across the world, we use this as the location we pull it all together, mix their conversations with each other's conversation. These men, these broadcast partners are key for us being able to understand how this world basically and the current events that we cover in light, by the way, of Bible prophecy, not just the current event, but as it relates to the prophetic truth found in God's word. These activities we cover are key for you to understand what is going on. David Dolan is the man who's going to give us our Middle East news update. And David, at the northern border of Israel, Nasrallah, who is the head of Hezbollah, is warning of a great war on all fronts. I would imagine he's talking about there in the north from Hezbollah out of Iran and down in Hamas there in the Gaza Strip. 
Boy, this is a very shocking announcement by Nasrallah, is it not, for the Israelis? Well, shocking in a way, because uh, normally one isn't quite as blunt about one's war intentions, but taking after Iran, his mentor, they're all the time, of course, saying that Israel will be destroyed. We had Ayatollah Khamenei say that in a speech just a week ago Friday, that Israel will soon be obliterated. So the uh, Hezbollah militia is just part of that machine, that Iranian machine, a major part of it, for sure. It's their major military force that's stationed permanently on one of Israel's borders. Of course, in the Gaza Strip, Hamas and Islamic Jihad service surrogate forces, too, for them, get a lot of money and training from them, as does Hezbollah. And Hezbollah, by far the biggest and by far the most heavily armed. And, of course, unlike Hamas or Islamic Jihad fighters that occasionally get into a skirmish with Israel. The Hezbollah fighters have been active in the Syrian war since, really, since about uh, 2013. So they've had several years now of active combat uh, on the ground to back up, you know, their learning of war, as it were. So the Israelis are quite aware that their forces have not been in any sustained ground activity during that time. Now, we're thankful for that, but Nevertheless, there's the occasional terror attack, there's the occasional operation that goes on and things around the Gaza Strip, as we know, but uh, not the sort of sustained fighting that would make them right, ready today for, for action. So there's a little bit of concern that if we get into a ground war on top of everything else involving Hezbollah and some of these other forces, that uh, it may take a little bit of time to get up to the speed that they're already at since they've been of fighting so regularly, and they've done a good job, uh, the uh, Syrians say, in aiding the Syrian regime, and uh, the Iranian forces, of course, are often commanding these Hezbollah fighters, Jimmy, on the ground. It's actual uh, Revolutionary Guard commanders from Iran that are interacting with them, even though uh, their two languages are different, Farsi, of course, in Iran, and then uh, Arabic in Lebanon. But it's a serious issue indeed, Jimmy, and there was a shooting incident up along the border on Friday. A shepherd was coming too close to the border, and warning shots were fired, and they feel he was probably actually not a shepherd with sheep. Well, he did have those, but that he was a spy for Hezbollah checking Israel's reactions. Well, that's Israel's northern border with Hezbollah. But at the eastern border, King Abdullah of Jordan calling for the world to unite against Israel I do believe that is in part connected to the annexation possibilities of Judea and Samaria. Uh, but Abdullah has to voice something against Israel because of his population being so much of the Palestinian people, doesn't he? He does, Jimmy, and there is uh, a lot of talk amongst the experts that actually he's quietly satisfied with the U.S. plan in the sense that it might bring a final end, could, uh, not likely, but could bring a final end to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and that we could, could again, get final borders out of uh, an annexation. Uh, what we had this week that was new is confirmation from U.S. officials that the 30% or so of Judea and Samaria that Israel wants to annex, which is uh, all of the Jewish communities, some of them isolated, most of them in blocks, settlement blocks around uh, Hebron and to the north of Ramallah and near Tel Aviv, up in the hills above Tel Aviv, that these would all be annexed. 
and of course the strategic Jordan Valley and the land along the Dead Sea coast would be annexed. But the remaining 70% could become a Palestinian state. And what the Americans were saying this week is, we expect your annexations to be the final ones, and then the final borders will be based upon those annexations. So the Palestinians would still have quite a bit of land to work with, they would still have control of all of their cities and towns, and they could set up an independent state according to this U.S. view. Well, that's, of course, if uh, the Palestinian Authority goes along with it. So far, they've totally rejected it. Now they're being boosted, Jimmy, by uh, Erdogan in uh, Turkey. The Turkish dictator is uh, has been, of course, supporting the Palestinians for years, especially uh, Hamas and the Gaza Strip. But now he's saying he will back any Palestinian moves against annexation. He will be ready militarily if he has to, to support that as well. And, Jimmy, we're hearing of Turkish flags are all over the place now in all the Palestinian towns and, and villages. You can see them in East Jerusalem flying from windows and in shops. Turkish flags. Well, of course, the Turkish Ottoman Empire ruled the whole area until World War I. During World War I, they lost that control. And uh, Erdogan wants to build it back, apparently, using the Palestinians as one of his people groups that he would include in his new empire. That's not going to happen, but uh, he is certainly actively supporting them. And with all of that going on, as you've just reported, the Prime Minister Netanyahu saying that he is not going to miss an opportunity to annex the West Bank, Judea, and Samaria. That's what he's saying, Jimmy, and uh, that's, of course, in the, the new government rules. But, of course, the new government was set up primarily to deal with the corona crisis, and we've had a serious spike in new cases, Jimmy, over 70 in just one day this week. And what's worrying the authorities the most is that a good portion of these are coming from the reopened schools. And uh, the most famous Jerusalem school, the gymnasia, where many of the leaders attended school over the years and top officials in business as well and politics, there a number of students, eight students and seven teachers uh, came down with the virus. And they're in particular worried about the teachers. They're older, of course, and if they reopen all the schools, then they're worried about a spike. So they're focused right now more on that. They're not talking at the moment much about the annexation plan. But, of course, that is the biggest goal that the prime minister, again, prime minister, Bibi Netanyahu, has, and he's made that clear. But fighting the virus is, of course, what they're doing more on an active, everyday basis right at the moment. David, I wanted to ask you about something I just heard this last week, that the Palestinian Authority, that's the legislative body for the Palestinian body politic, they are accusing Israel of planning to expand the borders of the state of Israel from the Nile River in the south to the Euphrates River in the north. Wow, that sounds like Genesis chapter 15 to me. It sounds like a good plan for Israel. I don't think the Palestinians are very pleased by this expansion plan. Well, and Jimmy, it's really very unlikely at this stage in Israel's uh, existence that it would be implemented. Although, as I've said so many times, wars change things. And if we have this massive war that the Iranians are threatening, if it involves Syria as well, if there's uh, various other parties involved and we see a lot of casualties in the midst of that, 
we could well see uh, Israel take some more land. They're certainly very familiar with South Lebanon, since Israeli forces were stationed there for over two decades. So they know that area very, very well. And, of course, Israel had the Sinai after the 67 war until uh, the Camp David peace treaty in the late 70s. So they're uh, very familiar with that land as well and would love to have that back. But they know to do it now would create the war that we're talking about, basically. And even the 30% annexation of of Judea and Samaria is enough probably to set things off, especially since we have Iran behind all of this, and they seem to be just looking for a reason to go to war. And as we've said so many times, according to their theology, they're not so afraid of it. They know that they might get pummeled themselves, but they believe this will bring in the great uh, Mahdi uh, Muslim leader and all that. So uh, serious days indeed. Well, I have read the last chapter. In fact, 38 passages of Scripture talk about the borders, ultimately, for the Jewish nation in the kingdom period we're talking about, and those borders in the south would be the Nile River in the north, the Euphrates River there in northern Lebanon. Very interesting conversation about what the Palestinian people are accusing Israel of doing. David, thank you so much. Your Middle East news update is always essential to each and every one of us, especially students of Bible prophecy. We appreciate it. Thank you. We'll talk again next week, my good friend. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. We're going to talk about Shavuot, which is Pentecost as it relates to the Jewish feast, the fourth of the spring feast. And we'll have that conversation with Winky in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy D. Young. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. It's our second half hour. We need 90 minutes to cover the current events around the world with our broadcast partners, and we're going right now to the center part of the state of Israel, a place called Shiloh. It's the location where the Ark of the Covenant rested for about 350 years after the Jewish people, led by Joshua, came back into the Promised Land. Former mayor of Shiloh and a key personality and our broadcast partner from that very historic location is Winky Madad, and in the process of celebrating Pentecost, or in the Hebrew, Shavuot, which means seven or weeks. And I want to talk to Winky about that. Winky, Pentecost is one of the seven Jewish feasts 
from Leviticus chapter 23, isn't it? It is, Jimmy. According to the biblical rendition, on the morrow, the day after the Passover festival, there began a count of 49 days of seven weeks for what we call the Omer, uh, the barley, if I'm not mistaken, is it's translated into English, which would then be brought to the temple. And that became connected to the day that Mount Sinai and the giving of the Torah from God to Moses and on to the people of Israel occurred, so that there's a, a, a link-up between those two unrelated events, if you want to be a directly careful about how the Bible lays it out, but in Jewish tradition, these two things come together. And so, for example, I have been reciting every single night, one day to the Omer, two days to the Omer, all the way up until the festival of Shavuot. Well, it's a very interesting historic background, but there's a agricultural background as well. We'll get to both of those in a moment. Well, in fact, let's go to the historic significance now. The giving of the Torah. Now, for those listening, those Christians listening to this conversation between you and me, Winky, the Torah, actually the first five books of Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is basically referring to the law. That was given traditionally at Mount Sinai when Moses got there after starting to lead the Jewish people towards the Promised Land, correct? Yes. The Jewish tradition is that he received the tablets of the law in which the Ten Commandments were inscribed by God himself, the first tablets, as we know, were broken because the children of Israel were a bit impatient, and they were looking for some sort of substitute for Moses and God who disappeared to them. Then the second tablets were brought down, and then Moses remained up in order to study with God, as we believe, the 613 commandments. And then a learning process took place after that. So this is the fundamental aspect of the holiday of Shavuot, that seven weeks after we left Egypt, we were brought out of Egypt as slaves to become free men and to accept upon ourselves willingly a new religion, and from there to continue to march on to the land of Israel. But in addition to that historic background, it has an agricultural significance as well. That is the bringing of the first fruits of the wheat harvest to the temple. Now, that was a part of what God commanded in Leviticus also, was it not? Absolutely. In fact, the book of Ruth is read on the Shavuot holiday because a major element in the book of Ruth, especially in the first chapters and even almost until the end, is harvesting, gathering the grain into the silos. All this agricultural backdrop to the Book of Ruth, in addition to its message about receiving converts to Judaism and, and other elements, which I don't want to go into right now, also plays a role in the fact that Shavuot is viewed as a harvest festival of the wheat and other grains that are grown. 
Well, and because of the fact that the first fruits were to be brought to either the tabernacle and or the temple when the temple was standing, because there's no temple today, how would this be observed by the Jewish people as they approach the Shavuot and the special Jewish holy day? Well, uh, there are people, for example, on one side, someone I think you know, Professor Hillel Weiss, who reenacts a gathering uh, uh, and a cutting, actually almost seven weeks ago, of the Omer, of the Bali, in a reenactment that, as you know, we've discussed many times, various aspects of the temple service are being reenacted, attempting to see how it really works uh, as an exercise. On the other hand, for many years, the secular kibbutzim in Israel would use this holiday with their first fruits being piled on the back of a tractor and uh, the children being dressed in presumably biblical garb and carrying fruit baskets and other things that are mentioned in the Bible, sort of in a secular fashion to remind us exactly what the ancient children of Israel did. You know, that's a very interesting thought that you just brought to our attention, the fact that the the Sanhedrin, and of course Hillel Weiss, the spokesperson for the 70 Wise Jewish Scholars, the Sanhedrin reenacting uh, this special braining of this first of fruits of the wheat harvest and sacrificing that. They did that whereabouts, not at the Temple Mount area, did they, or someplace in Israel? No, it was in a place, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, small community of Itamar, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the Samaria Hills. And was there a reason for choosing that particular location, or just because they could not go up onto the Temple Mount? Well, they could not, of course, go up on the Temple Mount. In fact, the Temple Mount is just being opened now. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, Jimmy, Itamar has one or even two grinding mills for uh, wheat uh, and barley and other uh, grains in which a lot of uh, natural people who want to eat natural food, I don't know exactly how to describe them, come there and get stone ground, for example, very uh, fine or not-so-fine ground uh, flour at the end of the process, and I presume that he was taking advantage of, of, of these people at, the, at that location. And, of course, this entire reenactment, looking forward to being able to be on the Temple Mount, they hope, in the very near future. I understand also, Winky, that the original director of the Temple Institute, a member of the Israeli Knesset and now a Temple Mount activist, Yehuda Glick, a friend of yours, a friend of mine, uh, is wanting to go up onto the Temple Mount. You said the Temple Mount just now being opened up again because of the restrictions on the coronavirus, but it's opened up. He wants to go up and read the book of Psalms there on the Temple Mount. Now, this is, of course, a reenactment of what would happen if the temple was standing there. But why the book of Psalms? Any particular reason for that, or just wants to read the scriptures up on the Temple Mount? Well, Jimmy, as far as I know, with Yehuda, he has a major project based on the peace of Jerusalem. And as you and I have discussed several times, uh, Isaiah and, and other prophets indicate that the Temple Mount is meant to be a place of prayer for all peoples, leading up to that 
uh, redemptive process that we think the prophets uh, indicate in their writings and in their prophecies. And one way in which all people can get together is reading the Book of Psalms, which I think is more than perhaps any other book in the Bible, resounds and resonates not only with Jews, but with Christians and other people uh, who find uh, depth and passion and meaning in the words of the Psalms, most of them written by David, others by other uh, Jewish figures at the time. In, in Judaism, we say Psalms when a person is ill. Uh, we, uh, over the past hundred years, many of the Psalms have been turned into popular songs with little bit of uh, modern music, so that it's, it's a book that lends itself less to dividing people by religion than uniting them in a vision uh, of, of divine interpretation of why man should be at the Temple Mount uh, and thinking about Jerusalem. You hope that this will be able to happen. Do you think it will happen, Winky? If I know Yehuda, it will start. I don't know if it will finish. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good answer to that question. Well, my final question is, I want to find out how the Jewish people celebrate Shavuot, our Feast of Pentecost, this time in this year that we're living today. I do know by tradition uh, that a cheesecake is a part of that celebration, one of my favorite parts of the celebration, by the way. Uh, but what else happens in addition to the cheesecake? And why cheesecake, for example? Well, the tradition is that the children of Israel did not eat meat while waiting uh, at the foot of the temple of the uh, Mount Sinai. And therefore, milk products or honey or cheese have become very popular in a folksy sort of tradition over the past several centuries. By the way, besides cheesecake, uh, Jimmy, we have blintzes, you know, those filled, I don't know exactly how to call it in English. Oh, it's almost like a tortilla mm. that is filled with cream cheese and, and raisins and wow. other aspects that people Delicious. go crazy over. One more thing I think I should stress is that uh, the more orthodox people will stay up all night on the Shavuot holiday, here in Israel, of course, it's only one day, and learn as much Torah, uh, as much of the law as possible during that evening, and then start uh, daily morning services, basically at the crack of dawn, uh, and, and that is another way of, of, of expressing appreciation for the fact that the holiday means that we got, received, accepted, is a law from God at Mount Sinai. Winky, thank you so much for explaining how the Jewish people approach Shavuot, or the Feast of Pentecost. And I'm going to have a piece of cheesecake in honor of the Jewish people. I'm going to have to suffer through that, but it sounds like a good idea to me. And thank you so very much for helping us to us Christians to understand what goes on. There's a Christian significance to it. We'll talk with David James about that a bit later on. But you've been a real blessing to us, Winky, by sharing this. And Chag Sameach to you, my friend, on this special Jewish feast day. Jimmy, Chag Sameach, a happy holiday festival to you and 
Thank you very much once again for having me on the program. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Interesting report from Winky Madad, Shavuot, which means, of course, seven or weeks. And it's referring to the Feast of Pentecost, the fourth of the spring feast. Winky gave us a great bit of information about the Jewish perspective to Pentecost. But right now, we go to John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us, a key region of the world. It is so important that we stay on top of political activities in that region in order to understand how the prophetic scenario of God's Word is quickly coming to pass. And John, in light of that... I know because of the coronavirus pandemic, all the other things taking place, there's not been a lot of conversation about Brexit, the United Kingdom pulling out of the European Union. Can you update us on what the situation is there as of now? There are some surprising developments concerning Brexit because there still needs to be an agreement by the end of the year, which is under a a negotiation although the United Kingdom is now removed from the European Union. But the surprise is the European Union is actually ready to offer concessions to the United Kingdom. This is something that's, that's been very unusual, and that has not happened uh, very often. So they do see a very clear need to make this a clean break and to do it quickly, because the EU, we know, is dealing with a lot of things. The main contention is the agreement over uh, fishing and fishing waters. And uh, years ago, I actually was in the fisheries committee at the European Parliament, and it was a contentious session. It's really something to witness. So the negotiators are working, and there's an EU transition that has to be complete. The EU has actually said they can make it two years rather than one year. The UK has refused that. So the EU is willing to negotiate new step. New step, but is it showing weakness as far as they are concerned and keeping the other member states together? Well, of course, Brexit is going to have some spillover, as we all know. But I believe their plate is so full, they would just rather say good riddance and try to clean this up as much as possible. China is very much in the news for many, many reasons, but I'm wondering about the headline I just got from the European Union, support for China falling dramatically in the area of the European Union and the polls there. What do we know about that? Yes, China on the worldwide stage has overplayed their hand, and there's a prominent international survey which is coming out that shows the backlash in public opinion. So in terms of do people believe China knowingly held back COVID data or they have not been open or honest or they should be held accountable in the European countries, this has come back in the high 60s percentages. This has been a sort of about face as well. In Germany, 80% of the nation says that they need to uh, end their dependence on China. Actually, we see that China has backfired by taking such a strong hand, uh, hand of denial, and there's even uh, support now for economic sanctions. And, of course, the European Union uh, has had an um, opinion to appease China, and yet the people are certainly not supportive. 
However, having read the book of Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, I know that indeed in the end times, and especially in the last half, maybe the last six months of the tribulation period, China is going to be a major player. That's the voice of John Rood. He's the man who covers the European Union for us, a very key region as we try to better understand how soon the prophetic scenario found in God's Word may come into play and actually be fulfilled. John, appreciate the report. We'll talk again next week. We need to always, on a weekly basis, talk with you. So we'll talk next week again. Important, important point. Thank you. Well, here's one of my favorite broadcast partners, a namesake. His name is Don DeYoung. Of course, I'm Jimmy DeYoung. We don't know if we're long-lost cousins or not, but I surely enjoy each and every conversation I have with Don. Don is just retired as the head of the science department at Grace College in Renona Lake, Indiana. He's written a book on astronomy, the top 100 questions. He's an astronomer, a scientist, a Bible teacher, just a, a great guy and a good friend of us here at Prophecy Today. Don, uh, let's go back to black holes. I believe the last time we did have a conversation focused on black holes. And as we get underway, could you just take a moment and define for those listening to us today a black hole? Certainly, Jimmy. Glad to join you. Black holes are just one of countless variety that we find in space. As best we can tell, um, some stars, mainly large ones, use up their fuel, and they collapse inward. Gravity takes over to the point where uh, nothing can escape, and it becomes a black hole so massive that even light cannot leave it. So, again, it appears to us that a black hole is the end. It's really the death of a collapsed star. Whether there are lots of them or very few or perhaps none at all, we're not certain with that. But indications are that, uh, yeah, there are many black holes throughout space. Now, the rest of my questions are going to be because of the fact I'm still a student there at your knees trying to learn all I can about astronomy. I could, I guess, be qualified as a beginner as it relates to astronomy. I have read your book. I go out, look at the heavens. I get excited, come back, look for the question that I have. You give me the answer in the book. By the way, that book is available here at our website, prophecytoday.com. Be sure to get your copy of it. It's a blessing, and it'll help you have a great, exciting hobby as well. But now my next question. There is, as I understand it, at the center of our galaxies, and you've told me before, most likely 100 billion galaxies in the entire universe, ours, the Milky Way. And at the center of our galaxy, there's supposed to be a black hole. Am I pretty much on target? Uh, That is correct, Jimmy. And I must say we are all beginners when it comes to the, the majesty and the size of the universe. It's certainly beyond us all. But it does appear that um, galaxies in their center as an area where um, stars have collapsed and joined together into uh, a, a massive black hole, which still has gravity and actually holds the galaxy together. This includes uh, our own Milky Way, of course, a vast array of stars, and our sun is just one of those stars, but in the center a black hole where it appears that millions of stars have fallen in together. 
Now, whether it's created that way or whether over biblical times stars have collapsed, we don't know. We just see it as it is today. You mentioned the sun. I understand that this black hole at the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way, is about four million times as massive as our sun. I mean, I don't even know how to understand that. Yes, we're getting that from the, the gravity effect that we can see from the black hole, that um, there's a lot of mass there, there's a lot of material in, in the center of the galaxy, equal to four million suns. Now, you know, the sun is an average star. There are some stars larger than the sun, some that are smaller, but that becomes kind of a benchmark. So these large um, black holes, uh, equivalent to multiple suns, collapsed together. Don, as I've been reading up on this particular subject in order to be able to even have a conversation with you, I understand that some scientists have observed dancing stars or blinking stars uh, that are facing our direction from that black hole. What is that all about? Well, Jimmy, in the vicinity of the Milky Way black hole, there's a lot of activity There are stars and masses of gas that are um, circling the black hole, and this makes them um, speed up and uh, makes them heat up and give off light, and some vibrate, some would seem to blink, some would be pulled into the black hole, others would orbit it. They're just a swirl of activity. We can't imagine the energy and the activity going on in a place like that. Perhaps the Lord and his angels enjoy that activity, but we see very little. Now, when you see a blink coming in our direction, of course, we are a very small speck when it comes to the whole Milky Way. I'm sure you could find similar activity and uh, strange signals in all directions coming out of um, the center of the Milky Way. It's just a grand area of uh, a variety of activity. Don, I read one astronomer's report that in two hours when he was observing all of this, it became 75 times brighter at that location. How does that happen if it's indeed a black hole? Yes, that can happen. Apparently, a cloud of gas or a bit of time eclipsed another star, and so it seemed to blink off and then blink on again. So, in other words, there's sort of an eclipse phenomena going on. So uh, this can happen. Things can speed up, slow down. They can get brighter. They can get dimmer. Again, they're just a a a ferocious activity continually in the middle of the Milky Way, as well as all the other galaxies um, throughout the universe. Wow. One billion type of activities just like this we're talking about today. I wonder why weren't these stars, these dancing stars, absorbed by the black hole, Don? Well, some are, but uh, a star can um, circle a black hole and have a stable orbit. It's kind of like our own Earth. We circle the sun. The sun has a large gravity, and uh, if if the Earth was not moving, we would tumble straight into the sun, and uh, that would be the end. But because of our uh, tangent speed, we just continually orbit the sun, keeping our distance. And so that's true of a lot of stars as well in the, toward the center of the Milky Way. They are in orbit. Now, if they would slow down, then they could um, collapse and move into a black hole. And maybe that, maybe that does happen also. I know the account of creation in Genesis chapter 1 talks about on the fourth day, Uh, The sun, the moon, and the stars were created, and in fact, all the Lord said was four words, and the stars also. And that's another time, another 
discussion about how many stars there are out there and how he brought them into existence so quickly. But were the black holes created at that time as well, or do we know? Well, by our definition, a black hole is a collapsed star. I do believe that this whole um, physical universe was made, uh, you know, mature and fully functioning. And uh, apparently there were stars in all apparent states of their lifespan. I don't know whether black holes are part of the original creation or whether they've happened over the few thousands of years that we've had. It's a tough question to answer, but with, uh, with stars not showing up till day number four, it would have been on that day when the variety of stars, and maybe black holes as well, were made. A black hole is, after all, a star. It's just a very collapsed star. Well, I do know one thing for sure, as quoted there in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the Lord's majesty, you talked about that a moment ago, and his glory. And so you've been helping me because of what you wrote in your book and the opportunity I've had to talk with you to observe the heavenlies. And this is such a blessing to see his majesty and his glory on display, isn't it? Well, thank you, Jimmy. Glad to share. And again, uh, it just uh, makes us all fall to our knees thinking of uh, what God put up there for us to enjoy and just to see the, the drama of the heavens. You know, combining creation and prophecy, the entire Bible, all 66 books with prophetic passages, combine that with creation, that seems to equal for me the authority and the authenticity of God. Doesn't it, Don? Well, it certainly does. And speaking of astronomy, you know, in the end times, things happen. God set up the universe, and he can, uh, he can close it out. So it talks, talks about the stars falling and the heavens being um, folded together. In God's time, he will once again reprogram space. And all of this given to us by the holy, precious Word of God. Don, it's always a joy to be able to talk with you. I learn something new every single time. I thank you for your ministry with me, but for all of those listening here on Prophecy Today as well. Thank you so much. Hope to have another conversation real soon, and be sure to stay well. Thank you, Jimmy. Glad to share. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have one more broadcast partner. David James will talk about Pentecost and the time of the beginning of the church. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. Thank you for coming back for the last half hour. So glad you could join us. David James is standing by. We're going to have a conversation you want to hear. It's upcoming in a moment. I want to remind you that my poll question would be located on my homepage of my website, prophecytoday.com. If you go there, then scroll down the left-hand column, you'll see the poll question. Surely would love to have you answer that question. Here's the poll question. With reports out of the Middle East revealing that Turkey, Syria, Jordan, Iran, Lebanon, and Hamas are ready to attack the Jewish state of Israel, do you believe a coalition of Middle Eastern Islamic states could go to war against Israel, as foretold in Bible prophecy, in the very near future? Now, that's the poll question. Please answer it, if you will. would be so appreciative 
for you to do that. Also, I want to remind you about my YouTube channel located at youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. We now bring to this microphone David James. It's that time of the week when David and I get together and have a conversation. Conversations that many of you are paying attention to because we hear from you, and it's great to have the opportunity to interact with you if you have questions about whatever statements we may make. It's great to be able to have that conversation and I love getting your emails, so thank you so very much. And by the way, David, before we get to our main topic, let's take a moment and follow up on the email from a listener that we talked about last week, because as I understand it, he sent us another encouraging email this week. That's right, Jimmy, and I was glad to get that follow-up email as well, and I know we were both encouraged by it. For those listeners who may not have been with us last week, uh, we received an email from a listener who had been listening to a pastor who was a good teacher, but who had made a comment about not paying much attention to the prophetic end times because he thought that the different views have good arguments, and so he said he'd just accept whatever happens. So we expressed our concern that this might lead to other theological problems because of the method of interpretation involved, maybe things that our listener hadn't picked up on yet. And so in his follow-up email, our listener said this, I took time to think about it and reflect on the pros and cons of continuing to listen to this pastor. I wanted to let you know that I decided to stop listening to him and decided to continue on my own studies. Then he went on to write this, I also heard you speak about the younger generation stepping up to take on the role of the next generation of ministry leaders, preachers, scholars, and Bible teachers. I'm in the military serving 12 years and eight left before I retire. During that time, I'm going to use my military benefits to pursue schooling and theology so that once I retire or even before, I will go into the ministry in some way, shape, or form. Wow, Jimmy, that's the kind of email we love to receive, that's for sure. Yes, amen. Praise the Lord. And it's the purpose, the ministry of Prophecy Today Radio for the purpose of trying to excite people about the urgency of the moment in which we are living as it seemingly is fitting right into the prophetic scenario of God's Word and encouraging people to not only study that theology, eschatology, but in addition to that, get excited and go out and start preaching themselves. We're multiplying ourselves, David, and praise the Lord. Well, earlier in this program, I was talking with Winky Madad about the significance of the Feast of Pentecost for the Jewish people. You know, David, I thought it would be good for us to take a moment, talk about its significance. I'm talking about the Feast of Pentecost and its significance for the church. Well, I couldn't listen to your discussion with uh, Winky Madad, but I'm guessing that you discussed that it was the second of three required feasts for Israelites who were to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord on those three feasts, and that it was connected not only with the early harvest, but also with the giving of the law. So the law was given to the nation of Israel as they were on their way to receive the promised land, and it would essentially function as the constitution for this newly redeemed people of God. Then in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 
some 1,500 years after the first one, a new people of God came into existence when the Spirit of God came to baptize believers into the body of Christ and permanently indwell them, and so form the Church. And so the day of Pentecost marks the birthday of the Church, and so it's a very important day, even though we don't tend to celebrate it here in the United States. And of course, we remember the death of Christ on the cross, which was on the Jewish feast of Passover, and we celebrate Christ's resurrection from the dead, which was on first fruits, but we don't pay much attention to Pentecost. And you know, Jimmy, as our regular listeners know, we were missionaries in Hungary for 16 years, and there, and I would say as is true in most of Europe, Pentecost is a national holiday, and maybe it should be here as well. It's, a, it's an important holiday. Well, I think the Church is slack in not celebrating this day, especially in light of what I want to ask you next. And since Pentecost is indeed, as we've already talked about, a Jewish feast day, David, do you think there's any significance to the Lord choosing that specific day to start the Church in the flow of His program in history? I don't think the Scriptures specifically tell us the Lord's reason for starting the Church on Pentecost, but uh, I could suggest something with uh, what I would call sanctified speculation. We know from Exodus 19.1 that the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai in the third month, and the Feast of Passover was on the 14th day of the first month that God had set as a new calendar for Israel in Exodus chapter 12. And while we don't know for sure the exact day, according to rabbinic tradition, God gave the Ten Commandments on the Feast of Harvest, which we know through the Greek language as Pentecost. Now, if we were to characterize the single greatest sin that Israel would be judged for throughout our history, it would be for breaking the first and second commandments concerning making idols and worshiping other gods. And the prophets refer to these times of judgment as days of the Lord. Now, there have been many lesser days of the Lord throughout history, and Joel chapter 2 refers to a coming great and awesome day of the Lord, and it is this passage that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost, as I said, in Acts chapter 2. Now, because of the sin of rejecting her Messiah and his kingdom, God temporarily set Israel aside, and then he joined Jews and Gentiles together into what Paul calls one new man in Ephesians chapter 2, which is the church. So it does make sense for the church to begin on this specific day. David, one controversial issue in the church today, as you have spoken often about, is the Pentecostal and Charismatic movement, and with the emphasis on speaking in tongues, of course, in those two different categories of Christianity. Do you have any thoughts about why God used speaking in languages or tongues as the sign of the coming of the Holy Spirit in the birth of the church? Well, that's an important question, Jimmy, and I haven't really heard it dealt with much, but I deal with it in both my course, God's Plan Through the Ages, as well as Signs, Wonders, and the Charismatic Movement. So I just mentioned the issue of the Day of the Lord, as Peter quoted from Joel chapter 2, to explain how and why Jews from all over the known world were able to speak in languages they hadn't learned. 
Now, the problem with this explanation is that Joel doesn't say anything about tongues at all. But So the question is, what is Joel talking about? What's the topic? Well, he's warning about the coming great and terrible day of the Lord, as I mentioned, which begins with severe judgment. So this raises the question, are there any Old Testament passages that connect judgment with Jews hearing a language they don't understand. And we know that Jews from Jerusalem couldn't understand what was being said because they accused those in the upper room of being drunk. And, Jimmy, I guarantee you that if I started speaking perfect Hebrew, you wouldn't accuse me of being drunk. So they didn't understand what was going on. Well, there are, turns out there are three such passages, Deuteronomy 28.49, Jeremiah 5.15, and Isaiah 28.11, and all three are about God using a foreign army, speaking a foreign language, and languages are mentioned, a foreign language is mentioned in those passages, and God is going to use this foreign army to bring judgment against Israel. And so tongues were a sign of judgment against Israel, and this is when God began to set Israel aside for a time, and that's why Peter says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. David, I would think that by far the majority of dispensationalists believe that the church started in Acts chapter 2. However, I do know that there are other views as well, even among some dispensationalists. Maybe it would be helpful for you to just briefly explain these views and why this is indeed an important issue. Sure. Well, they tend to fall into two large groups, uh, those who say the church began before Acts chapter 2 and those who believe it began after Acts 2. So those who put the start of the church before Acts 2 would say there's only ever been one people of God throughout history rather than two, as we would say, that is Israel and the church, and that is what is understood by most the majority of dispensationalists. Now, this one people of God started with Adam, and so that would mean that national Israel does not have a unique place in God's program, especially concerning the future. And this also means that the promises that God made to Israel are fulfilled in Christ and the Church in a spiritualized form, and so Israel has no future in God's program. The other view concerning those that say that the Church began after Acts chapter 2 is sometimes called hyper-dispensationalism, although I would say that using hyper to describe anything usually isn't that helpful in a discussion, especially with those who hold it. Anyway, this generally falls into two subgroups. Those who say the Church started after Paul turned to the Gentiles in Acts 13, and those who believe the Church started late in the book of Acts or even afterward. Now, the problem is that both groups would generally say that only Paul's letters have any value for the Church, and they also tend to say that while salvation in the church ages by faith alone, salvation for the Jews in the past and during the future tribulation period includes works, and both of these are serious problems, I would say. Folks, we've uh, talked about the church beginning on the Feast of Pentecost, and some say that because of this, the rapture will also occur on a Jewish feast day, on the Feast of Trumpets, for example. That's what they believe. David, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I wouldn't hold that view for several reasons, and, and I know that you don't either. First, I would say that it could, 
happen on the Feast of Trumpets, but only because it could happen on any given day. This is the doctrine of imminency, and that means that the rapture could happen at any moment because no prophecies must be fulfilled before it takes place. And I think this is a main reason why the rapture doesn't have to happen on the Feast of Trumpets as well. The Feast of Trumpets takes place in the fall at the beginning of the seventh month of the Jewish religious calendar, which is the first month of the civil calendar. So if the rapture must happen on the Feast of Trumpets, then that means that there are 364 days in every year when it couldn't happen, so it wouldn't be imminent. And for any given year, on the day after Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets, the beginning, the head of the new civil year, the rapture couldn't happen for another entire year. So I think that's a problem. And another reason would be that the Feast of Trumpets is for Israel, and God won't be dealing with Israel again until Daniel's 70th week, which begins with the Antichrist affirming the treaty of Daniel chapter 9, because it will take some time after the rapture of the Church for the Antichrist to rise to power over the revived Roman Empire. On the other hand, I do think that Christ will actually return to the earth on the Feast of Trumpets as the first of the fulfillment of the three fall feasts yet to come. Well, I agree with that, David. And in fact, if you go back to Leviticus 23, we see that these feasts were for the Jewish people, not for the church, but for the Jewish people. And of course, the second coming relating to that, which the Jews have been looking forward to a coming, not as a second coming, according to them, but the coming of their Messiah. Well, it was a great discussion, David, on the day that is being celebrated by both the Jews and the church, some churches at least, across the world, the Feast of Pentecost. Thank you for your research and for your partnership with me in the conversation, and we'll have another one just like this on another subject next week. I'll look forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks a lot. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I open up my Bible. We take a look at the book, putting together all the reports from my broadcast partners and showing you how they fit into the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. 
There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. We're going to take the Bible and compare the prophetic passages of God's Word with the reports coming from our broadcast partners today on the broadcast. You know, every week we focus on the world and current events with these broadcast partners. Every week, it seems like these current events bring better into focus how these events could well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And that's why we bring these men to the broadcast table. We need these reports. If you missed any of them, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN. That's on the home page, right-hand column, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you'll be able to find archived all of the conversations I had with the broadcast partners today. They have some great information. Not only do you need to hear this information, but what about a friend of yours? You may be wanting to introduce your friends to Bible prophecy. This would be a great way to do it. Send them the location, the link to these conversations with my broadcast partners, and then maybe they'll even listen to a look at the book as well, because that'll bring it all together. Right now, I'm going to take a moment, if you'll allow me, to rehearse these reports from my broadcast partners and give you my prophetic perspective on them. You remember that we talked with Ken Timmerman. He's still in southern France, and we talked to him about a number of items, geopolitical events happening around the world. We began with looking at Jordan, who was calling for the world to unite against the state of Israel. Jordan is listed as a member of the states that will form a coalition against the Jewish state of Israel, found there in Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 43. Petra is located in Jordan. You might remember that. So as you study the passage, you're going to recognize that the Antichrist, when he comes into the Middle East, he goes to the north, he wipes out Syria, that's Isaiah chapter 17, comes down through Ammon, Moab, and Jordan, does not touch them, although they are a part of the coalition of nations that want to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. Then he goes into Egypt in the south. That would be the king of the south in the passage. Well, you see the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes back 
after he rebuilds the temple in Jerusalem, goes up to the Jezreel Valley for the Battle of Armageddon. He walks then those 176 miles from Megiddo to the entrance of Petra. By the way, in connection with that thought, read Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 to 6. David Dolan, who's the man who has covered the Middle East for over 35 years, gave us his Middle East news update. He was talking about Hezbollah, who says that a great war is ready on all fronts in an effort to destroy the Jewish state. But the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11 gives us all the members of that coalition. In Psalm 83 and verse 7, it talks about Tyre. That's modern-day Lebanon. And by the way, that's where Hezbollah is located. Back in 2006, it's the last time that the Israeli Defense Force had to take on Hezbollah. But since that time... They have today the fifth largest arsenal of any nation or entity in the entire world, and they're ready to attack Israel from the north. They are working with Iran in this effort, Iran also working with Hamas there in the Gaza Strip. So you're talking about on all fronts, but David's report was so key to us understanding how all of this prophetic scenario is coming together. Winky Madad gave us the significance of the Jewish holy day of Pentecost, Shavuot in Hebrew. It's the fourth of the seven feasts. It's number four of the spring feast, talked about there in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. And it is the time when the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, were given to the Jewish people there at Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. John Rood gave us his update on the European Union, talking about China today. China is key today, but in the European Union, they are dramatically falling off the popularity chart. That is a part of what's happening today, but I can tell you Revelation 16.12 talks about the kings of the east crossing the Euphrates River, and I want to tell you, my good friend, the kings of the east are talking about China. Revelation sixteen twelve, and they will be in collaboration with the Antichrist in Babylon. Revelation chapter 18. Don DeYoung, a namesake for me as the spokesperson for Prophecy Today, we had a good conversation about black holes. We talked about the fact that there is a major black hole four million times the mass of the sun located in the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. You know, Psalm 19 states that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Creation proves the authority of Jesus. Prophecy is what the Lord uses to authenticate and foretell the future as it relates to his plan for all of the world. David James and I had a great conversation about Pentecost as it relates to the Christian community and the beginning of the church. That's Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Each and every one of these reports had current events that our broadcast partners would report to us, and as we listened to the details they added to all of those reports, we came to an understanding that we are at a place, seemingly, where these current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy 
to be fulfilled. Now, my dear friend, what we do know is that the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, and Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, that the next event is going to be the rapture of the church. John said, I heard, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. And my dear friend, you should be listening for the sound of that trumpet. When it happens from the heavenlies, Jesus will call us up to be with him forevermore at the rapture. And in fact, that rapture could happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Today.